Bibles this morning, please, to the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter number 21. As I was thinking this week about my message for today, Father's Day, I thought about all of the different titles of messages that I've used over the years, and, and it's a long, long list, by the way. I mean, after 55 years, why well, the list gets pretty long, but the only reason I, I'm not going to bore you reading the list of sermon titles, the only reason I mention that is to say this, and that is that during the course of that time, I I can say with a good conscience that I've covered all of the basis when it comes to the facts about being a father. Uh, over and over again, I've dealt with the responsibilities that, that fathers have and so on and so forth. But uh, the sad thing, and this is something I think we all have to admit, is that most men, I said most men, I didn't say you, I said most men, uh, do not succeed at their job of being a father. And that being said, nor do we pastors always succeed when it comes to giving men what they, what they need the most. So let me explain that. You know, that, and, and there can be some exceptions, but most men, most men know what they ought to do. I, I mean, especially if they're in church uh, on Father's Day, that tells me they've probably been there before. They have some idea of what church is all about and what the Bible says. They know what they ought to do. They just don't do it. And they don't really need another lesson or they don't need another lecture. What they really need is the Lord. And that being the case, well, I believe the, you know, the best Father's Day sermon is one that uh, that points them to the Lord Jesus Christ because until a person receives Christ as their Savior, there's no amount of preaching that's going to ever help him become the man, the husband, the father that he ought to be. I, I could preach for two hours honoring a handful of fathers, and they deserve that, by the way. But I could take all of that time doing that but at the same time, I would be leaving the majority of the fathers without any benefit whatsoever from the message because uh, they're not really getting what they need the most. As a child, it's your job to honor your father. It's not my job. That's your job. It's my job to do my best to help meet their needs, their spiritual needs. And I can't think of any higher way to honor somebody than to help meet their most important needs. And most men need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And the challenge is getting them to see that. Because when things go awry spiritually, then it uh, is going to sidetrack us from ever fulfilling our calling as a parent. Second Chronicles chapter number 21. I want to begin by reading two verses, the first verse and then the last verse. First verse says, Now Jehoshaphat slept with his fathers, that is, he's dead. And he was buried with his fathers in the city of David, but Jehoram his son reigned in his stead. Now look at the last verse of the chapter, verse 20. 
30 and 2 years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned in Jerusalem eight years, and departed without being desired. Howbeit they buried him in the city of David, but not in the sepulchres of the kings. You know, one of the most common mistakes is our failure to see the importance of our lives. You realize whether you're a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, that God has a plan for each and every one of us. And true success is finding and following that plan. That is what we call a life well spent. A person that has found God's will, that is following God's will. And you need to remember that your life always has an effect upon other people. We can all think about Famous men down through history that have had an effect upon us. I think about as a young boy, for whatever reason, I, all, uh, all of a sudden I, I, I become uh, fascinated with the life of Teddy Roosevelt and the Rough Riders. And boy, for a long time in about the fifth and sixth grade, Teddy Roosevelt, I mean, he was my hero. I thought that he's got to be the greatest man that ever lived. And and learning about other great men in history has a way of affecting us, but while they might inspire us, the people that influence us the most are those that we know personally. Fathers, maybe a relative, a, a friend, it, it might be a teacher to this very day. I can think of two or three teachers that had a, made a major impact upon my life. And just as someone exerted an influence on you, your life is impacting others, whether you realize it or not. There are young people here that are watching you. They're not going to tell you, I've had my eye on you. I'm watching how you uh, respond to different situations. I'm watching how you behave. I'm watching your attitude. But they are watching you, and you can have an impact upon their life. And we are accountable to God for the manner in which we affect them. So today, I want to speak to you about a man who failed miserably. He was a man who died without honor. And I don't want that to happen to you. You know, in, in spite of all of their faults and their failures, most people want to be well thought of after they die. I, I doubt if there's anybody here who says, I don't care what people think about me. Uh, and, you know, and after I die, it doesn't really matter. Oh, yeah, it really matters. It matters to you. And, and it matters to most men. This appeals to that longing within most men. It's their right, wrong, or indifferent. It's by their very nature that men have a way of wanting to be admired and honored. That's why they do the silly things they do. Right? Go, back, go back to your teenage years and the nutty things you would do to impress people. I mean, I've jumped off of buildings and climbed, you know, trees that was way higher than I ought to go and done crazy things just to, you know, impress the guys in the neighborhood. And then when it 
you know, come to the girls, that's a different story, you know. You, you, I don't have to remind you. You already know. You look back and the silly things that teenage boys will do to impress some girl. So there's something in the male that wants to be admired, that wants to be honored, and that's good to an extent because it drives them to make something out of, them, out of themselves. But here was a man that had, I'm sure, that same desire that every male has, and he ends up an absolute failure. Notice he says he departed without being desired. Nobody cared. Nobody. Family, friends, nobody cared. He's dead. He's gone. We don't care. So I want you to look at three things this morning. I want you to notice this life of wickedness. It's described in the first 11 verses. And if you read those verses, you'll discover that he was a weak and a wicked man. Notice verse 6. He walked in the way of the kings of Israel like as did the house of Ahab. Well, if you've ever read about Ahab, you know exactly what's going on here. He had married the daughter of Ahab uh, and Jezebel. And they were the most wicked couple that we know of that had ever lived. And here he is pattering his life after people like that. Imagine having Ahab for your example. I've never met anyone by the name of Ahab, have you? We did, or I've never met a girl named Jezebel. I've seen some that acted like Jezebel, but I never met one that had the name Jezebel. We just don't honor people like that. But here is a guy that's patterning his life after Ahab. And by the way, he knew far better than we do the history of Israel. He had personally witnessed the results of their wickedness. He knew of Ahab and Jezebel's terrible deaths, and yet he chose to go down the same road and to do exactly the same thing. There's a lesson there for us, and that's this, that we better be careful who we follow. Be careful who you follow. It might be an icon in sports, and you'd be amazed if you knew how many young men. That, that's what they want out of life more than anything else, you know. They want, they want, to, be like, they want to be like Mike. They want, the next Michael Jordan. They, they, want, they want to be famous. When I was a boy, you know, we had, as boys, we did the same thing. We get all of the teenagers today, but we did the same stupid stuff. I wanted to be the next Stan the Man Mutual, you know, played first base for the St. Louis Cardinals. Boy, everybody idolized him, you know. I thought, man, that's what I want to be like. I'm glad I'm not. I'm glad I'm not. There's those that idolize some entertainer or some actor, you know, and that, that's what they want to be like. They, they want to follow the pattern of someone else. And I'm warning you, you better be careful who you follow or you'll end up on the ash heap just as he did. Your heroes can lead you straight to hell. So here is a man that is wicked, that is weak, and two major problems here, and that is, number one, that he had no compassion for others. Look at verse number four. It says, He slew all his brethren with the sword. What kind of a man does that? 
he killed all of his own brothers. Why would he do that? He wants to do that because he doesn't want them getting any recognition whatsoever. He wants to be the top dog. He wants to be, you know, the king of the hill, the top of the heap. And he doesn't want any competition. So he just murdered all of his brothers. He has no compassion for other people. But there in verse 6, we see he has no concern for God. He wrought that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now, listen, that explains exactly why he had no compassion for others. I mean, a person that has no concern for God is not going to have compassion for others. And we can preach all we want about how dads ought to love their children, but if they're not concerned about God, it's not going to do a bit of good. You'll never love your children like you should love them until, first of all, you have a concern for God's will in your life. Then in verse 11, it tells us here that he calls the people. These are the people that he's leading now. He calls them to commit spiritual adultery. He chose the way of Ahab, and now he's leading everybody else. Come follow me. And he leads them into spiritual adultery. In other words, he does the very worst thing that he can possibly do as the king of the people. So it's obviously we're talking about a very wicked man. But secondly, I want you to notice the letter of warning. And it begins in verse number 12. And the first thing about it is that it was given by Elijah. Verse number 12, let me tell you, God always takes note of what's going on in our life. And he always has something to say about it. And so verse number 12 says, And there came a writing to him from Elijah the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord God of David thy father, because thou hast not walked in the ways of, uh, in the ways of Jehoshaphat thy father, nor in the ways of Asa the king of Judah, but has walked in the way of the kings of Israel, and has made Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem to go a-whoring like to the whoredoms of the house of Ahab, and also has slain thy brethren with thy father's house, which were better than thyself. Behold, a great plague will the Lord smite thy people. Notice he's not through and thy children, and thy wives, and all of thy goods. Here is a letter that comes by way of the prophet Elijah. And as I read that, I think to myself, man, if we need anything today, we need preachers like that. We need preachers that are concerned, preachers that are disturbed by the sinfulness of the world in which we live, and preachers that have the courage to stand up, notice, He's confronting the king. This is, not, this is not preaching to a bunch of people on Skid Row. When I first started preaching, that's where I started. I started down at a rescue mission, preaching to those that were alcoholics and what have you. And that's tough enough, but imagine strutting up to the king and saying, King, listen, God sent me and I have a message for you. The king's thinking it better be good. It better be good. It took courage. It's explicit. I mean, there's no way the king can misunderstand what he says here. He understands. 
but he's just not concerned. He had an I don't care attitude, and that's exactly where most people are today. They know. They know. Were you to take a survey of all of the men attending church this morning, most of them would have to admit, I know what I ought to do to be a good father and a good husband. I know. I already know that. But they're not doing it. They hear the word of God, but they have no intention of obeying it. Boy, let me tell you, that is a, that's a costly mistake. You see, we too. Now, Elijah's dead and gone. I don't suspect I'll ever hear from Elijah. But let me tell you, we have a letter of warning, and it's right here in my hand. This is the letter of warning right here, and it is a message for all of us And we would be fools if we just ignore what this letter has to say. God is warning us. You know, it's one thing for the preacher to get all bent out of shape and to to rebuke men because of their failure. But, but you know, that might seem like a big deal to you. But let me tell you, that's nothing compared to your accountability before God Almighty. So he receives the letter of warning just as you and I have received our instructions and our promises and our warnings. We come down to verse 16, and now we see the loss of his wealth. And I need to explain something. When I say wealth here, I'm not just talking about money. Because there are things of far greater value than money. He lost everything that was of value. In verse 16 and verse 17, read that and you see that he lost his goods. All of his possessions, all of his goods, everything gone. There have been times in my life that Bev and I have lost things that were of great value. There have been times such as during Harvey that we lost a lot of things that were of great value, things that could never be replaced again. But we've never lost everything. And here is a king, someone who is accustomed to living up to the highest standard, eating the best food. he, He has it all, so to speak. And now it's all gone. God stripped him of all of his goods. And as horrible as that is, that wasn't the worst thing because when we come to the last part of verse 17, notice he lost his family. Only his youngest son was spared. You know, it would be one thing to lose all of the possessions that you hold dear, but I'd rather lose all of them than to lose even one of my children. To think about all of your family, your wife, your your children, all gone. And that's exactly what happened. Maybe you're thinking, but would God really do something like that? Well, he did. And if he did, he could. And if he did and he could, he, he would if forced into it. And I say that because we can so provoke God that God will take that thing from us that is the most dear to us. 
And sometimes it's, it's a person's child. You, say, you, can make, you can make a God out of your children. You can so idolize them that you care nothing about the God of heaven. And your whole world is wrapped up in your family. You have no time for God. David, a man after God's own heart. David, a man that God used to write a great portion of the Bible. And God took his baby. Let me tell you, God's not playing games. Don't you ever think that your sin could not cost you one of your children. Or in this case, all of your children. His goods are gone. Now his family's gone. Now look at verse number 18 because it doesn't stop there. And after all this, you know, he's got to be thinking, what else can happen? Everything I have, everything I hold dear, it's all gone. What more could happen? Well, and after all this, the Lord smote him in his bowels with an incurable disease. And it came to pass that in the process of time, after the end of two years, his bowels fell out by reason of his sickness, and so he died of sore diseases. Now his health is gone. I mean, you talk about being miserable. He is just about as miserable as anything could be. And yet God didn't stop there because verse 19 tells us clearly of his death. He died. His sin cost him his very life. His sin cost him his family. His sin cost him everything. But there's one more thing that it cost him. That's in verse 19 and 20. And that's his honor. Notice he says, And it came to pass that in the process of time, after the two years, notice his bowels fell out. Look at the last part of the verse. And the people made no burnings for him like the burning of his father. That is, instead of using the aromatic wood and making the burnings, going through the celebrations and things of that nature that would, would honor his life, they didn't do any of that for him. Today we might say there wasn't any funeral for him. And he departed without being desired. They did bury him in the city of David. I suspect that was for historical purposes, don't you? To maintain their history, but not in the sepulchres of the kings. He's not over there in the graves among the kings. He's over there in the back 40 somewhere where nobody can... Nobody can even see his grave because nobody cares. Nobody concerned. The people refused to honor him in any way whatsoever. He had reigned as king, but now there's no tribute being paid to him. He died without a friend. That's, you know, it's stories like this that caused someone many years ago to say the best part of some family trees is underground. And, and, and that's evidently the way people thought about this guy, you know. Good that he's gone. He was nothing but a curse while he was here. 
And let me tell you, everybody is going to be remembered for something. Whether it's good or whether it's bad, people are going to remember you for something. The very mention of your name is going to cause other people to remember some things about you. Do you ever wonder what it might be? What will it be? What will you be known for? When you're dead and gone, what will your children really think about you? Because you see, the children have a way of seeing you at, at your worst. You know, we, we, can, we can put on our false face and go out to meet the world and we can deceive others. But, you know, let me tell you, even the dumbest kid you've got can usually figure out whether you're being hypocritical or not. They know. It's hard to hide things from kids. We need more men like the great military leader, General Douglas MacArthur. And he said this. He said, I don't want to be remembered as the great general who led armies and liberated the people. I want to be remembered as the Christian father who prayed and read the Bible with his children. Wow, dear God, give us some fathers like that. That's exactly what we need. And let me tell you, the legacy that you leave is going to be determined by the life that you live. And most people are going to leave this world as miserable failures. And how sad that is. But there's something even worse than that. And that's leaving this world without a Savior. There's a desperate need for godly fathers, but there, there's no way that any of us can ever be, you know, the, the man that our children need us to be unless Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. It's impossible without Him. Right. Yeah. I wrote an article this last week about the fact that being a tough job, being, being a father. And in case you didn't read it, I said, you know, exceeded only by being a mother. You couldn't handle that. That's a tougher job. But being a father, none of us are prepared for that. It's a learn-as-you-go process. I mean, who knows what to do? From the very beginning, we just learn as we go. And let me tell you, we make a lot of mistakes along the way. Your children need for you to be a certain kind of father. They need, desperately need you. And the only way you can ever become the man that they need and the man that God wants you to be is for you to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, for you to be committed, dedicated, surrendered to His will for your life. Because He will empower you to do what you could never do on your own. Oh, we hear a lot of talk about people changing after they're saved. Boy, I tell you what, oh, so-and-so, he really changed. He, you know, he, 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 used to, he used to be a drunkard or used to be a dope addict or whatever it is. And he really changed, didn't he? Well, if he did, he'd probably turn around and change again, not for the good. It's not the changes we make. It's being changed that makes all of the difference. I'd still be a drunk today if it wasn't for the fact that God changed me. I, I didn't change me. 
All I did was start loving Jesus with all of my heart and trying to follow him the best that I could. And as I did that, he, he started doing stuff that I could never do on my own. And he wants to do exactly the same for every man here. He wants to make you the kind of father your son and your daughter needs. The kind that when you're dead and gone, they'll look back and say, Boy, I sure thank God for my daddy. He was such a help and such a blessing in my life. That ought to be the desire of your heart. And listen, that, that dream can become a reality. But only, only if you commit your ways unto the Lord. And if you're here this morning, you might be like my daddy. As I said, he was as good as any man I'd ever met. I've never met anybody more honest. He wouldn't steal. He wouldn't lie. He wouldn't do any of that stuff. I mean, that was out of the question. He never come home drunk. He never beat my, my mother. He never did any of that stuff. But he was as lost as the worst drunk in the county. He was as unsaved and on his way to a devil's hell as the worst person you ever met in your life. Because it's not about being good. It's not even about trying hard. It's about trusting in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And God the Father, the perfect Father, is willing and able to save you this morning and make you a new creature. Will you trust him? Let's all stand together as the musicians come and we prepare for this invitation. Father, thank you for your saving grace. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the power of the Holy Spirit working in our heart and in our lives to change us, to transform us into new creatures, something that we've never, ever been before. Lord, I just pray this morning that you'll speak to hearts, not just, not just to the men, but to anyone and everyone this morning who has a need of a personal relationship with Christ. And may this, they make this the day that they come to a knowledge of their sins and put their trust in Him and leave here knowing for certain that if they were to die today, they'd go to heaven. God, may the Holy Spirit move up and down these aisles and may He speak to hearts today conquer our stubbornness bring us to our knees that, that we might surrender our all to your will in Jesus name now while we sing if God's speaking to you about anything whatsoever today would you come it might be just to kneel in prayer you come